0: Welcome to Sports Nut Central. We're nuts about sports. All right, well, Sports Nut Central, here we go. Uh, another episode coming your way. We've got a very special guest, uh, Niagara College graduate of the Broadcasting for Radio, Television, Film Program, doing some amazing things right now. We've got Amy Otterberg here. So Amy, go ahead and say hello.
1: Hi, thanks for having me yeah. <laughs> What what a
0: curveball to start.
1: No, yeah. Hit me with the tough stuff (laughs) off the top. Uh, It's just really nice to chat sports like that are actually happening right now. (laughs) Finally again, right? So thanks for uh, chatting with me. Uh,
0: Well, yeah. Thanks for joining us. And speaking of that, the CEBL, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, Amy, is the first league to return to play. You got to tell us about that, what that whole experience was like being the courtside reporter for all 26 games.
1: Yeah, so it's all a blur. There's a short answer. I can't tell you anything, and I remember nothing. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, it was really <laughs> cool. So first of all, like uh, I I keep saying, it's kind of like I I, li- you, I take some time to reflect after. I've never had a project like this, but you know, when you have a season or um, a 26 game and 16 day project, and everything, I just keep going back to it, It's just I can't. I'm so proud of the league of Mike Moriali and his team to get this going and it's it's over. That's the first thing I said to him after I looked at him, I said, it it happened, you know, because uh first of all, to get a live sport, a live league playing in Canada, um, without an NBA budget bubble, you know, it 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 was, it took a lot of people and a lot of effort and it took discipline, even the guys, right? Um, they had to follow rules. We all did. I had to get tested. Like we all had to follow rules but anyways it was amazing uh there's your short term uh, your short answer another one i uh just having two feet in a basketball gym uh is something that i never take for granted but during a global pandemic you really don't take that for granted and i loved it you know i it was a a little bit of a shift for me because i have been working in and sitting in a color analyst chair for a year so i shifted back to the sideline but i was so excited to do it for this league because there were so many good stories. And I keep saying I, the bummer for me was that probably like 60 to 70%, more than 70% of my, of my stories didn't make air because there's just not enough time to get everything in. But I mean, these, some of the stories that came out of this league, um, the athletes, the coaches they, they truly were incredible. And I hope I'm back next year and do it.
2: Amy, talk about the CEBL's decision to turn to the Elam ending rather than of course, a normal traditional time buzzer, no buzzer beater. However, there's a hero in every game, and that was the way they wanted it. Your thoughts on how it turned out for the tournament?
1: Well, first of all, the ones that ended it on free throws weren't the best, which is kind of funny because that's how the championship ended, ended, but it was Xavier Moon who was at the free throw line, and he scored 31 to be the lead, the highest-scoring game, so it kind of was poetic justice at the end. I loved it. Uh, speaking to the coaches at first, to be honest, they were not as – I, I, they were excited about it, but it, it's totally new, right? And especially with some sure. of the coaches who haven't been head coaches for a long time. Uh, but, you know, Kyle Julius brought up a great point. He's the head coach of the Fraser Valley team. And he said these guys have been playing Elon since they were like two years old, right? In the gyms, best to seven, best to nine, best to 11. And so uh, some of them were really good. The ones that were really good were so exciting. Um, the ones that weren't just because it was maybe a little sticky, the, the whistle started getting blown a little, I don't want to say too much, but it felt like too much. Uh, but I loved it. And I think as the, as the summer series progressed, uh, you saw them get better and better. But even if you're going in up 15, it, it usually the team that was trailing actually won that final frame. And and so I hope they continue it. I know that there's a lot of people that are pushing for the NBA to do it. Uh, The other thing that I think came into factor with the Elam was a lot of shots were missed. And we got to remember a lot of these guys haven't been training, right? They got a one-week training camp. They've been training, but not like they're used to, has the world been normal. So I think, you know, if you look at an Elam and an NBA – those shots are going in like all the time right so uh, i th- i i'd be really excited to see it continue to thrive
2: do you think i don't i don't want to say helps the game in any way but does it actually add excitement for the players fans and coaches rather than a timeline
1: 100% because when you take when you're trailing and you take the clock out of the like equation of a game uh, anything's possible all you have to do is get a stop that's the first True. thing, right? And then score. And you don't worry about the clock. I think it's so exciting. Uh, again, like I think for the first time, for, I, like, I, I tried to ask every single guy if they've ever played Elam, which was a little <laughs> tough to do. But I literally think I found like three or four that actually did. And the only place they would have played it was TBT, of course, professionally on a basketball court. So I think the more that they do it, um, the more you kind of catch on to the strategies. But certainly when you take the clock off the table as a fan, you don't see that stalling. You don't see the foul to get to the free throw line. You just, you see just guys trying to get stops and score.
0: I heard the number 31 there, Amy. And I, uh, I was able to pull up this vintage, uh, Reggie Miller Jersey. Okay. Just for fun. Cause I I have such a oversaturation. (laughs) Yeah. I have such an oversaturation of hockey stuff. Uh, in my little man cave here but I just thought I would show that to you and I was hoping to grab my old Air Jordan 11s size 5 but (laughs) couldn't locate those but anyways over COVID-19 you were able to do some webinars with uh, Dutch from Niagara College of course the uh, lead BRTF instructor there and uh, really had some great time really had myself we all had a great time to you know listen to you and learn from you and, and and sort of your your schoolmates and what the grind of broadcasting is like? Would you would you be able to just talk about the grind of what you've been doing the last you know ten years or so?
1: Yeah, that's it, right? Like it's crazy. I always say, I thought I knew how tough it was going to be, and then I actually had no idea. Um, I've loved every opportunity, but uh, especially when you're working in Canada, we just don't have a whole lot of on-air opportunities in our industry. Um, the only way to get better is through reps. So that's why I just, it's so challenging. And so, um, I mean, I don't know exactly where to start with that other than, uh, I've been fortunate because you, you gotta be lucky too, right? To get the jobs. And so I'm lucky. I also, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't shy away from the fact like I work my tail off. Uh, I can, I'll continue to do that. I just haven't had things just fall in my lap, but, um, I guess you also have to be patient to, to have to do other things. You know, I've worked at the casino for a long time to support my broadcast career. So if I picked up a game somewhere random, I could go and I could stay there for the night and you know what I mean? And I can buy an outfit and make sure I'm presentable. Like it's just part of our industry. Right? So I don't think people realize for on air, unless you're a superstar, like, Vince Carter wants my job, Vince Carter's taking my job. I get it, right? But um you gotta it's a skill. Honor presentation is a skill set. Calling a game is a skill set. You can't just walk in and, and even me, like I always I sit down and reflect every game. I could have done this better. I could have done this different. Um, but uh there has to be a a level of patience to understand that you're not just gonna get your big job and there's no like direct way, it literally is all over the place. And yeah, I don't know. That answers your question.
2: <laughs> the actual broadcast of a game will change. Obviously, you know, CBC tried to do a, little, a few things differently with the CBL. The NHL is trying a hundred things to broadcast their games differently. But as a reporter, as a color analyst, do you see a broadcast changing going forward once sports actually do return?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's... Too much of anything that's just going to go back to the way it is, right? We've all had to to adapt and, and change the way that we function, and and I think we're definitely going to see some things. I hope, I hope that we're not going to sacrifice too much quality for budgeting mm-hmm. purposes, right? Because, um, as it, it you know, even with the CEBL with Media Pro, which was awesome, those cameras were robotic cameras. So the joke was, was they actually couldn't keep up with Xavier Moon sometimes, right? So <laughs> we would lose him in a frame because the, ro- the robots couldn't keep up with him. It, I mean, the it was fantastic. It was so cool. It was phenomenal. And I'm proud to say that I was part of this groundbreaking broadcast. But you can't replace somebody, a, a lady or a man, sitting on a courtside holding a camera and and catching those shots and catching that angle. So I... I I think that we're all figuring out ways to adapt uh, and I'm sure things will change but and you know I mean it's tough it's tough calling a game without fans I mean obviously it's harder to play and harder to coach and harder to do a million other jobs without fans but it's also tough to call a game it's different and and so I hope that we can at least return back to some normalcy at some point
0: <laughs> Amy talk about the Raptors 905 team and really the league that is bringing up these future NBA stars. I mean, not everybody really knows about the Raptors 905 league and how competitive it is and that it's right of of course there at Scotiabank place. Just talk about that experience. You seem to be right about in your element when you're covering games there.
1: Thank you. Um, so the, the, the NBA G league, I said, I wasn't lucky before. Well, this is an example of me being lucky in terms of getting this job because, um, the the 905 in my opinion and of course I'm biased but I think it's one of the if not the best G League affiliates in the entire G League and that's because if you are a loyal Raptors fan you know that most of that team spent time with the 905 and so when I got the analyst job last year it wasn't just a uh, oh cool it was no 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 like this is I need to respect this and this is my su- every game's my super bowl because yeah like Paul Watson if, if you watched um, that first what was it last week when he went off like he he was he was a, a 905 guy this year you know and and they take their they take the 905 so serious not just with the players but with the coaches with the front office they just promoted John Wiggins um, up to the Raptors I'm hoping the broadcasters at some point would be awesome but you know it's such a cool um, there's like the personal and my side of it um, the industry is uh, for me what my biggest learning tool was this you just never know who's going to play until you show up so i'm a i'm a prep nut i prepare um i just i want to have all my all my angles covered you never know what's going to happen in sports right this is why we show up and play the game and a lot of times with the g league i would show up and a guy i spent some good time getting to know and prep wasn't playing or you show up and oh there's stanley johnson with the raptors oh he's playing today and so uh, it challenged me professionally that way, but the vibe in the, the NBA G League is the cool. I just love it because I was just speaking to somebody last week about this, is that whether you are the players, the coaches, the officials, everyone that works in the G League, inclu- including the broadcasters, we show up and we, are so, we feel so blessed and thankful to be where we are. But we also, in our mind, know we're like one step away, right, from the big leagues. And so there's this sense of proud of where you are, you know, ready to have a great night, but also, like, you you get excited and happy when, you know, we see mostly the players, obviously. We see the guys. See, Akram was a 905 guy. Freddie was a 905. 90- Norm was, right? So there's, like, this sense of um, pride when – we get to, or even some of the officials, right? We see them in the G League, and then maybe in a year or two, they're doing NBA games, and, and we're proud and we're happy for each other that way. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And again, I, I hope I'm back next year. So, whenever that is, which is a whole, yeah, a whole nother podcast, right? Do,
2: do you feel 905 games and G League games are, or can be, I guess, more entertaining and thrilling when you know it's almost like an open tryout for these players day in and day out, knowing they could get a call to come up? At any yeah. point
1: okay so the g league is you have to respect those players so much it's such a grind they don't they don't have the lavish nba lifestyle right they're not staying and traveling and, and top class and that's it they also have this pressure of if i don't play good i could get released if i don't play good maybe i was gonna get a call and i'm not going to so where i thought the 905 have thrived not just this past season but where they have thrived the well they since their existence pretty much is they've been able to, to play this fine line with understanding that guys are all kind of wanting their own look, but then also playing as a team together. That's very hard to do, right? Because every possession could be yours, your big shot, your big play, but you also have to buy into a system and show that, Hey, you know, tonight we want Tyler Ennis to get how many touches. And, and so, you have to appreciate that side of the league too, in terms of coaching, right? Cause, and then sometimes you get a call and say, Hey, so-and-so is coming down. Uh, he needs, we want him to get 20 shots. So you take your game plan and throw it out the window. And that sometimes happens the morning or the afternoon of a game day. So it certainly is exciting because like you said, everyone playing understands that it's their opportunity to get looks, but then you also have to, show that you can play in a system and you can execute and you can be a good team player too. So it's just such a unique um, atmosphere. It's it's minor leagues, right? It's such a, such a unique place. But I think with the 905, um, when guys come and play for the 905, they really do feel like they get legit looks and they do. Right. I mean, I've seen Masai and I've seen Nick Nurse at games. Um, You look at the success stories, look at Chris Boucher. Like they look at O'Shea Brissett this year, they get looks. They do get opportunities. So whether you're one through twelve on the 905, you certainly are motivated to show up and buy in because you never know.
2: Were you coaching when you were a student?
1: No, because my um, some of my friends were playing. Because I remember okay. doing like little like ENGs and stories and stuff on the women's yeah. team, and I think it must have been must have been right after I graduated. So that was a that's okay. a thing. I like love this is. I have so much love for the Niagara region because my, a lot of my friends are coaches at the, at Brock or at Niagara college. And I, they know that Amy needs to have two feet in the gym or she goes nuts. She's crazy. Mm-hmm. So I was really fortunate. I was an assistant at Brock with the women's team. I was an assistant at Niagara college with the win with the women's and last year, two years ago with the men's. And it was just cause my friends have allowed me to get in there and, you know, be a part of a team, but then also, um, have the flexibility that when I have a game to call, I'm not there, but, uh, yeah, no, I wasn't coaching and studying that. Um, you guys can probably second me on this. That BRTF program is amazing, but it's no, hundred percent. I, I cried once. Like, <laughs> I was yep. like, this is the hardest <laughs> thing I've ever done in my life. Like, like I was a, of course, a videography, uh, challenge or whatever, videography assignment. But, um, yeah, that program's amazing. And I'm so, that was another example of me being lucky. I I was lucky that I'm from Niagara. And when I got home from college, I didn't know what to do with my life. So I gave it a try and it was down the street. So it kind of all worked out for me.
2: You as a coach of Niagara and you know Niagara talent, and you see all these kids that play collegiate level come in from all across the province, all across the world. How frustrating is it for you though, when you see a kid who's got all this talent, you can coach him, you can try anything with him. But sometimes it doesn't work out or that kid throws it all away. How tough is that for you as a coach to see that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's extremely frustrating. But I say I will tell you this. um, If we've learned nothing in the last probably three or four years with college coaching. And I mean, obviously, we see it in the States on a bigger scale. But I would say also in Canada, we're seeing it more. Recruiting is the most important thing. I'd, I'd say recruiting is almost more important than wins and losses, because if you don't recruit players that are in line with your system or your beliefs, or that can handle you as a coach, um, you're in trouble, you know, the way that, and so, yeah, like we've definitely, you, you get players that don't fit or don't, they don't buy in. I think if, as a coach, if they're a, they're a good kid and they come from a good place, it's just not working out it's, it's, it's a lot easier to still support them. Right. And just find a fit. College basketball is not, not just show up and play, you know, you're a student athlete and if you're in the right program, you're a student first and you're challenged and you're held accountable. And uh, that's a whole different ball game.
0: You've done a lot of work with the WNBA down in Atlanta, working in Toronto. Like how often are you going back and forth to there? Or just talk about that experience uh, covering, covering the NBA or the WNBA. Sorry.
1: Yes, that was amazing. So I was actually signed up to start with the CEBL last summer, and I was really excited for that opportunity. And then, like, a couple days before the game, the the season was starting, I got this really big opportunity in Atlanta to go cover the WBA. So obviously they they were okay with me leaving, and it happened really quick. Got my car moved down there, um, and all of a sudden I was – covering the best women's basketball players in the world. And they really are. I love the W. Uh, Unfortunately, obviously, with a lot of the way the world feed and um, COVID and everything, (laughs) I didn't go back down to Atlanta this summer. And that's okay. Uh, I'm still involved with the podcast. But I guess um, in terms of just Getting to go different places—it's very rewarding. But you, are, some people don't like that, right? Some people, and that's like tough if, to build this ind- in this industry or this career. You have to be willing to go different places. But I was really fortunate that like Atlanta is not the worst place in the world, and I'm fortunate that I live hmm. close to Toronto. But I always say like some of my greatest memories so far were in Buffalo, the U- the UB women's basketball team. And the men, too, actually, for that matter, were really good for a while. So, um, yeah, you got to be willing to go, get up and go. And I'm fortunate to get the call.
2: You talked about recruiting, and you talked about how recruiting is huge for all across, you know, collegiate basketball, even high school basketball in the States. You see a lot of these kids that come from everywhere. BRTF, of course, at Niagara is one of those programs that gives Niagara a huge advantage over some colleges with all the technology they have to make these promo videos. What is the OCAA missing that makes collegiate basketball better in Ontario?
1: Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched a whole lot of OCAA stuff this past year. Sure. I would say this, um, especially with college athletes, the more you can storytell who they are as people, uh, who they are as student-athletes, I think that's really important. I think sometimes we miss we miss the mark on that. Um, because when you want fans to come up to a game, if they watched a video and they've seen, oh, so and so's in this program wants to do this for a living, maybe because of this reason, you know, you have a little extra motivation to show up and support. And so I, I don't I don't know if that's happening or not, but I think that's really important, uh, especially at the collegiate level because, College athletes, um, can, they're so much more accessible to young kids than a professional athlete, right? And it's, sure. it's win-win. College athletes, like the more you can get out there and push your brand as a person, you know, who you are. You, you can get fans and just, I don't know. I think that's really important. I don't know if it's happening enough or not.
2: No, I, they tried. Like I know because when I was with Niagara, of course, announcing games and we always talked about that same question, what makes the OCAA just a little bit stronger? And I know I was talking to Phil about it when he was coaching Niagara and he said pretty much the exact same thing you just said. Oh good. Because if we if we can illustrate who we actually have on the court and bring a little local talent, it would be amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know
2: Niagara's tried to do that, but when when you were there and you had you know ups and downs with the men's teams, what was your favorite memory? You know, just being on the sidelines as a coach for Niagara.
1: Um, with the men's team, just with Phil, Phil's my good friend. And uh, when he got the job, I was so excited. I think, you know, I will say this, we practice at 6am, I think Tuesday, Thursdays. So I love those early morning grinds and the guys they did, they got in there and they went like super, super hard. So I I enjoyed that. We had a fun year. We had Bubba and Mac, we had some good guys. Um, So it's hard to say like just one specific memory, but Uh, I I enjoyed sitting with Phil. And me and Phil are both very animated, loud talkers. So I think people thought we were fighting and screaming at each other a lot. But we were just, yeah, just (laughs) game conversation, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, it was interesting.
0: Amy, it sounds like, you know, you talk about these Raptor 905 players waiting for their opportunity to go to the big club, right? Are you just waiting for your moment to do your first NBA game? Like, what's just kind of in your dream you know, I don't know, vision board, whatever you want to call. I don't know what you do to dream, but what, what is it that, you know, you haven't done yet that you're just like, I got to do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't shy away from anyone else. I'd love to call NBA games. Um, you know, again, basketball is my love and passion and that's the highest level in the world. And, but that being said, I think a lot of people look too far ahead and forget to just do what they're doing right now, really good. And so um, I focus on the job I have and I get to go and I get to call a G league games, which again, these guys are, we're literally, you know, 20 minutes up the road from the Raptors. And so um, I, I treat every game like it's the biggest game of my life. I have to, you know, if I don't do really good at this job, the next one's never coming. And so it it, kind of in I mean, I've worked with people that show up unprepared and it gets under my skin because it's disrespectful to coaches, to players, to fans, to people that don't get these jobs, you know? And so, yeah, I don't shy away from, of course I want to work in the NBA, but I'm really, really lucky, fortunate, and humbled to be doing the jobs that I'm doing now.
0: Well, Amy, we can't thank you enough again for joining us on Sports Nut Central today. You're certainly an inspiration for myself, Spencer, Kevin, uh, anybody who's looking to uh, get into the broadcast industry. And we just would lo- love to have you on again. And we could talk for hours with you, I'm sure, about your career, how it's going and the journey that you're on. And in fact, uh, I'll be starting a show this fall called The Journey on your TV and uh, would certainly love to have you on there as well.
1: Yeah, I would love to. Like I said, I'm happy. All I like to do is sit around and talk about sports and whatever else. So anytime. Sports Nut Central. We're nuts about sports.